Good morning, first of all. It's a privilege to stand here this morning. Um, I was asked, I don't know, month, two months ago, a little while ago, to if I would be willing to preach this first Sunday of the year uh, to bring a message, a little bit of a heart of the session, but also a word from the Lord. Um, and I'll have to tell you, um, my passage that I chose today was a little self-serving. Um, we're going to be looking at Galatians. Uh, your bulletin says uh, Galatians 4, 1 through 6, but actually it'll be 1 through 7. That was uh, my fault to be off a little bit. But uh, the self-serving part of this is um, I'm a lawyer by practice and for 2023 will make the 30th year uh, that my practice has been exclusively adoption. And so uh, I'm no theologian, but I do know a little bit about adoption. And so my goal here this morning is to help you understand a little bit about this doctrine of adoption and what it means to be adopted by the most holy one, uh, God the Father. And I know from faces I see out here, there are a number of y'all who have adoption in your history. I've worked with a number of you with adoption. But um, this morning, uh, I really want to talk to us as a church, those of us here at First Evan. Uh, obviously, this passage has a broader uh, message, um, but we're going to talk as a family today. So uh, as Steve uh, mentioned what he wanted to do, I always said to myself, if I ever got a chance to preach, that one of the things I would do is um, we would, uh, in honor of God and his word, we would stand and read the passage. So if you'll stand with me. And we're going to read Galatians 4, 1 through 7. And I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he in uh, matters of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Dear Lord, as we look at your words today and may our hearts and minds be focused upon what you would teach us through your Holy Spirit. May my words be honoring to you and may our response be honoring to you. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. One of, my, uh, one of my favorite books 
uh, is Pilgrim's Progress. Um, and I don't know how many times I've read that book, uh, but um, more than a few. And there's a quote in that book uh, that, uh, Don, that the pilgrim makes. And what he says, this quote is, my name is now Christian, but my name used to be graceless. And that's what this morning is going to be about a little bit is our new name under Christ, who we are as adopted sons and daughters. And um, as we launch into this new year, um, I want us to reflect for a few minutes about who we are in Christ. We have a lot ahead of us in 2023. We have a lot in our culture that's driving us to angst and anger and frustration and whatever you want to call it. Um, but we need to be reminded who we are in Christ. And part of that, who we are in Christ, is we are adopted sons and daughters, that we are children of God. And that's no <laughs> small thing. Um, when we think about the reality of salvation, there are a number of doctrines that come into play with salvation. There's the doctrine of regeneration. There's the doctrine of justification. There's the doctrine of conversion. Uh, there's the doctrine of sanctification, the doctrine of union. But one of the most glorious doctrines of all is this doctrine of adoption. That what we as believers receive, not just salvation. We weren't just redeemed to be like a slave that was redeemed and not a slave anymore, but still not, just not a slave. We are now not just not slaves, but we are heirs. We are children of God through our salvation. And that's what I want us to focus on a little bit. Um, if you've got your Bibles, and I'm going to go through some scriptures here pretty quick, but Ephesians 3, um, I'm sorry, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, there's a passage here that says, uh, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and guidance having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure and that in the dis, uh, position of the fullness of time he might gather together one in all things in Christ which are in both in heaven and on earth and in him also we have obtained an inheritance and the scripture talks about um, even up further, it talks about in, in uh, verse three, uh, it tells us that he's, uh, that we were chosen just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be the holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ in himself, according to his good pleasure. And the point of that passage is, is that the Lord predestined us 
to be adopted. He predestined. He chose us to be, uh, through salvation, to be his family. And that's what adoption is. Adoption is where one chooses to adopt a child from another family, to take them in as their own. And scripture is clear to us that God, before the time began, he predestined that we as believers would be adopted into the family. And that's a glorious truth to think about, the privilege of adoption. J.I. Packard uh, is quoted as saying that uh, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. And I want us to see a little bit of why that is. What is it about adoption that makes it so glorious in the context of what God has done for us? So in this passage, we're going to cover three things in this Galatians passage. One, the condition of us before adoption, verses one through three. And then the plan for adoption, verses five and six. And then the blessings of adoption, which are verses six and seven. So we got the condition for adoption. We got the plan for adoption. And we have the blessings of adoptions. So to really fully understand this, we've got to get a little bit of context of Galatians. And who is Paul talking to in Galatians? And um, the churches in Galatia, now modern time would be the area of Turkey. Um, Paul had made missionary journeys there. And now he's coming back because uh, there have been what's called agitators that have come into the area of Galatia. And you have to understand these are all new churches. These are all new believers. You know, these aren't churches that have been together like First Evan for over 85 years. And so what's happened is these agitators were coming in and they were doing two things. They were challenging about who Paul was and they were um, basically um, saying false things about him to stir things up. But they also were preaching a false gospel and they were distorting Christianity and they were saying that to these folks they were Judaizers and they were coming in and saying well it's Christ as a believer but you must be circumcised in other words they were coming and they were saying it's Christ plus that faith is not Christ alone it's Christ plus and folks you know <laughs> our church today is no different and then what do we deal with? We deal even in our evangelical world that there's a gospel out there that's a false gospel and it's preaching Christ plus something. And so Paul is, he's addressing that issue and he's coming to the people, the churches in Galatia and saying, you must understand what salvation is all about. And so in order for him to do that, he brings them the story the analogy and the concept of adoption because he wants them to understand that anything short of faith alone in Christ, you're still in bondage. You're still slaves. You're still uh, tied to this world and, and be condemned by this world. And so he's coming at them at a little different angle and he's coming to them and saying, listen, I'm gonna tell you, give you an analogy to explain to you 
why when faith comes through Christ alone, the privileges that come to you that you are no longer in bondage. And so he gives them analogy and he's, he's bringing to them and basically he's expanding. You know, it's like well, Paul and Galatians and all those other, he talks so much about faith alone and, and Christ alone. And so again, but what he's doing, he's expanding that concept, that idea of salvation is, is awesome in and of itself that we can be redeemed forever. But the privileges that come with that, you need to understand so that you don't want to walk back into that bondage because these folks that he was talking to were believers. They had become to know the Lord, just like many of us, hopefully all of us in this room, but they're being drawn back. They're being drawn back into a life of bondage and a life of slavery and a life of, 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 of no freedom. And he's saying, listen, let me tell you a story. Let me explain this to you one more time and expand this. And so what does he do? So he talks to them about an heir. And what is a, what is a child before he becomes full maturity? And this concept, we have a little harder time understanding it. Um, but what does he say? He says, now say that the heir, is, as long as he's a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, um, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. What is he talking about? In those days and times, these people would know exactly what he was talking about because there was clear delineations back then between becoming a child, from going to a child to becoming a mature person. Now we talk about sons here. Don't misunderstand, it's the sons and daughters. But in the time that it was written, uh, sons were the heirs, sons were the ones that inherited. Um, and so what he's talking to them about is something they can understand because in those days, in the Roman world, in the Greek world, and even in the Jewish world, there was clear ways, there was a clear delineation of when the father said, it's time for you to be an adult. With the Jews, it was the bar mitzvah, which we still know somewhat about it today. You know, a child's 12 years old and they come and there's a set time that the father says, now you will be the son, you will be the heir. And bar mitzvah is what son of the law, that they come and say, now you're going to be um, answering to God and his law. And then with the Greeks, they had a process um, where they would go and they would have a um, festival, it's called Apaturia. And children would come and it would be a step, this was a step process from the go from a child to an adult, to, a, to, an, adult, to a, an heir, a son that would be an heir. And that process, the first process, they would come and have this festival that was called Apaturia. And one of the functions of this is the children with long hair, they would cut their hair and they would offer this hair as a, as a sacrifice to the idols. And then they would become part of a clan. And then they would move into what, uh, what they called themselves as uh, Ephibus. These were children um, that moved into training, sort of like a cadet, 
You know, my son, oldest son, went to the Air Force Academy and he was known as a cadet. And there was this time period that he was trained to be, to go from a child to mature as a young man. And that process here, they would go under the guidance of tutors, of those who would teach them how to be a citizen, how to be a man, how to live a life of maturity. And they were under tutors and they were under guardians. And then they would move at a certain point, they would be considered heirs. They were considered adult sons that could to be heirs. And then with the Romans, they had a process that there was a ceremony, it was called the Liberalia. And when a child, children would come, and these ages might be anywhere from 15 to 17 or whatever, and they would come to the, to the forum and they would bring their toys. They would bring their toys to the, to the forum and they would lay them down. And this, Paul talks about this when, when childish things are set aside, they would set them aside and they would, there was a ceremony that they would be designated at that point to be an heir, to be mature and to inherit. But until that time, all those times, they were under bondage. They were under somebody else's, typically slaves that were tutors and guardians that told them where to go, that told them what to do, that, that gave them the education, although they ultimately were going to be heirs of, of all that the, the father had, they were not yet. They were still children. And so Paul gives them that analogy. And so he sets this tone there. And then, he, and then what does he say? He explains to them that what, this, is, this is your condition before salvation. And what does he say? He says, but then uh, when the fullness, but when the fullness of time can't come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And so Paul now takes us to the application of, of, of in the fullness of time, when the father said, it is time for you no longer to put away childish things, to put away your immaturity and to be a mature adult that can inherit as sons. And so Paul has explained to us, how does that work with us spiritually? This fullness of time, what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about God's sovereign and providence said when Christ came and was born that we celebrated Christmas, it was the fullness of time. It was God's uh, plan for Christ to come at that time. And not just come, but what does it say? He was born, um, he sent his son. He, he didn't create Christ to come at the time of Christmas. Christ was already there. He was God, right? He was incarnate. And he sent him born under woman. So he became man, born under the law, subjected to all that we're subjected to, the law and God's law and and he was perfect and he obeyed it completely. And so he didn't come, he didn't want some special dispensation where he, he wasn't man, he was fully man and fully God and 
I can't fully explain that, but he's under the law. And what does he do? What is his purpose? It's to redeem. That word means to buy back. And it's in the concept and the idea of slaves that were purchased to become free men. They were redeemed. They were bought back. They were given their freedom. And this passage is what it's talking about is that's how we get to the spiritual aspect of going from a child to an inheritance, to all the glory that we can enjoy as believers, as children of God. And, um, and what does it say? It says they were born, um, verse four, born under the law to redeem those who were, who were under the law that we might receive the adoptions law. So under the law, what, what does that idea mean? So the law, talking about the law that was given by God, the Old Testament, basically had four purposes. It defines sin in its broadest level. So it gave man a broad understanding of what sin is. Two, it demonstrated that sinning wasn't just doing something wrong, it was rebellion against God. So it defines what sin is. It shows that violation of the law is a rebellion against God. And then it helps us understand what's the penalty, it's death. That under this bondage, under this tutelage, under this tutor of the law is we can't keep it. We can't keep it. And the, and the penalty of it is death. And finally, the purpose of the law is to tell them that the law can't save them. The law is not the answer, that you're still under bondage. And these people would have understood bondage because many of them may have been former slaves and slavery was going on back then. And so they would understand this idea of being under bondage, to being under the thumb of somebody else, even, if, even as a child before their inheritance. And so Christ redeems us as sons. Now that would have been an eye-opening flash for the people of Galatia. Because we've got to understand in the Roman times, adoption was not what adoption is today, how it operated. In those days, basically it was only the upper echelon, the ruling class that would do adoption. And the reason they would do adoption was to secure an heir because under the old Roman system and heirs, the, the wealth and the estate and the power and the prestige of the family of the head of the household passed through the male heir. And so if you had a senator, for instance, in the, in the Roman uh, government who didn't have a son, they would go and they would adopt typically a young male to be their heir, but not just anyone. They would look for one who was of, of good uh, character, handsome, you know, came from good stock. Uh, that's what they would pull from. And they would bring them in and they would adopt them. And they would, at that point of adoption, they would be full heirs. You know, uh, several of the 
Roman emperors were adopted. Caesar Augustus that we learn about at the time that Christ was born was adopted. And others, emperors were uh, adopted. And so that was the concept for the people then in understanding adoption. But Paul is saying something different about adoption to these people. And what is he saying? He says, you, through salvation, you're not just redeemed. You're not just bought back. You're not just a free person. You're not just not a slave anymore. You are adopted into the family of God. Now that would have blown them away because that was not how adoption was done back then. Now, today, we see that whole whole different with adoption, right? Infants, there's all kinds of adoptions that go on, but not back then. And so this concept would really got, Paul is getting their attention to say this adoption, this salvation pulls you out of that bondage and you never return. You never go back. You're not just saved. You're not just free. You're a child of God. So we got to think a minute about, okay, so we are, if adoption is choosing a child from another family, what family do we belong to? You know, and it's not a pretty picture of the family we belonged to before we were saved. Um, you know, turn to John eight forty four if you have your Bibles. Um, this is a passage that uh, you're familiar with, I'm sure. Um, Christ is dealing with the leaders, leaders and the uh, and dealing with this whole idea of who who he, who he is. And he responds to sin. There's this. They say to him, "We were not born of fornication. We have one Father, God." And Jesus says, "If God were your Father, you would love me, for I have proceeded forth and came from God. For I have come to of myself, but He sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are the." You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. That's our family before Christ a family of children of wrath. We were children of wrath. We were children of the world, the father of Satan. These people hearing this is like, wait. So this adoption, this is so far, this is so unbelievable to what we understand adoption to be because God is choosing us children of wrath to be adopted into his family through the redemption that comes through Christ. That would have blown them away. And they would have had this, this, and so that's what the point that Paul's trying to make with them is this is something you've never understood or experienced and it's never been in all of the world and never will be again. This idea of redemption and adoption. 
being sons and daughters of God. And so this adoption, what is it? What are the blessings of this adoption? This of any adoption, but compounded our spiritual adoption. What does that look like? Well, there's a number of blessings. We probably could spend the rest of the day talking about the blessings, but let's talk about a few. Um, The first is intimacy. You know, when someone's adopted, when I do an adoption and I go before the court and the judge is there and the family's there and the, the parents have to get on the stand. And one of the questions that gets asked to them is, do you understand that if this adoption is granted, it'll be as if this child were born to you, not ever considered to be adopted, but born to you and you will be the father and you will be the mother. And that's designated in a unique way. Many of y'all probably don't understand, but when someone's adopted, they get a new birth certificate. The birth certificate that they have gets sealed and that name of their father, that name of their mother is forever sealed and a new birth certificate gets issued. And you know what's on that birth certificate? God's name is on that birth certificate. Our spiritual adoption, that's God's name. That's who our father is. And we have a spiritual birth certificate that will never be changed. Because one of the things, one of the chancellors that I go before, he always asks this question and makes this statement. He says to the couple, he says, do you understand if I grant this adoption that this is forever? No rebates, no turning back. A lot of times I have people ask me, with all your children, you know, did you ever do adoption? And I said, no, but I thought about putting them up for adoption a few times. <laughs> but with God, that doesn't happen. We're, we're, we're forever in the family. And that chancellor will say to them, that judge will say to them, is this is forever. Things may change in this world and they will change. But whatever changes, one thing that won't change is this adoption. It's forever. And there's an intimacy because what does the scripture go on to say is that when we are adopted, we're given what? The spirit of adoption. And what are we able to do? We're able to call God what? Abba, Father. Folks, do y'all understand the uniqueness of that, the, the, I mean, these people, especially the Jews, I mean, they considered God, the name they used for God was not Abba Father. That's why Jesus got in so much trouble. One of the reasons in Mark, when he says Abba Father, he calls him Father, Abba, my Father, an intimate description of the relationship. And we are given that to be able to go before our Father and call him dad. (laughs) And that's what happens with adoption. The the day that adoption happens, a lot of times their pictures are taken afterwards and the family gets up there. And, uh, one, I had one, one, uh, father come up to me in the hallway and he said, this is the first day that my child has really been able to call me dad. I've been his guardian I've been his protector, I've been his his provider, but today I'm his dad. 
That's intimacy. That's, that's one. We have that intimacy. What else do we have? We're given a new name. Um, you know, when someone's adopted, most of the time, depending on their age, but 95% of the time, they get a new name. You know, they're given a name at birth. And at the day of the adoption, when that adoption decree is signed, there's a new name. And their name goes from Sally Smith to Sally Jones. And they have a new name. And that name is forever. And that name goes on that birth certificate. Turn to Revelation. Um, there's a passage, Revelation 2, 17, 2, 17. Just want to read it real quick. And this is Christ talking to the churches, okay? And uh, he's talking in, ver- in chapter 2, in verse 17. And what does he say? Um, he says to them, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, that, that's us, us who overcome, who persevere, who are believers, who overcome, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stones a new name, written which no one knows except him who receives it. We're given a new name forever by God, ours, unique, separate from all others. It's a blessing. What else do we get? We enriches our prayer life. The idea of, of being able to go before the Lord, you know, with adoption, once someone's adopted, I mean, that, that child, whatever age they are, they're going to their father, their dad, their mom, and they're asking for things that they need. It's the same with us. What, is, what does Jesus teach us about how to pray? Our Father, our Father, who art in heaven. We have a gate to go before the throne because we're adopted. We are children of God. Just like any child, once they become that family they go to that family and they can ask whatever they want to ask. And if it's God's will, it's theirs. We're given that privilege, that promise. What else are we given? Hope for the future. You know, Romans eight twenty three. we talk about the glorified bodies that come. You know, with adoption, so many children that I do adoptions for are foster children. They come from terrible, many of them, terrible situations. And they have no hope, many of them. They have parents who are addicted to drugs, who may be in prison, who've maybe abused them. They have no hope. But when that adoption happens, when they're redeemed, when that adoption happens, they have hope for the future, a hope for something good and positive, not perfect, not in this world, but the hope we have of the future is perfect, right? It's perfect in all ways. And as children, we go from foster children, from children of the the devil in a terrible situation to a future that we can't even describe. I mean, John in Revelation, you read Revelation, he can't 
even describe in words what it's going to be like. You know, he just, he can't put it in words. He tries, but he can't. And so then we have stability because of our heavenly father who brings stability to our lives, just like an adoption. And finally, the inheritance that we receive because all this that Paul is talking to them about is inheritance, about what we have, what we inherit as sons and daughters of God. And that inheritance is we can't even comprehend it, right? 1 Corinthians 2.9 is a passage that says, but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of men the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And Revelation, the very end of the book of the Bible, Revelation 21, seven summarizes it for us, what this inheritance is. And what does it say? And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes, that word overcome, there again, he who overcomes, gets that new name, shall inherit all things. Not some things, not a few things, all things. All things. And each of us, and I will be his God and he shall be my son. Each of us, each of us get all the inheritance. We're not dividing this up between us, okay? We're all in and we're all getting it, okay? And we're all gonna be glorified, we do. I gotta tell you a story about this inheritance that, that probably pictures it for me more than anything else. There was a family I did an adoption for um, and they adopted some foster children, three of them, two little girls, a little boy. These children were living in a trailer with no electricity, no water, no food, cats and dogs running throughout, filthy, wearing filthy clothes. And they were adopted by this family that's worth millions. And one day I was driving down Walnut Grove and the father comes flying by in this probably $100,000 convertible. And those three children are sitting in that car, living the life. I mean, the wind's blowing, they're like, and they drove by me and it just struck me. That's us as sons and daughters. The inheritance, we can't even get our arms around. We've gone from filthy rags to, to what we can't even describe. That convertible go driving down and forever being secure. So what's the application here? What, so what does all that mean for us? You know, we look at where we are as a church and the session is so thrilled with you as the body, what we have seen, your faithfulness to be here to be working with us in the church as a family. We are all 
family. That's one practical aspect of this. We are all family, like it or not. And, um, but we strive together and we have this inheritance and we have this family. And so just think about the application. We've had these six challenges, right? That we've worked through over the last couple of years. And, and what are those? We have the, the give grace, the preserve unity, the stand strong, to impart a godly legacy, to seek the loss, to work smart. My encouragement, the application here is let's do that. But let's do it not in fear, not in angst. We're still looking for a new pastor. God blessed that he brought Jim Fleming to us. We know we've got work to do, but we do it as a family. We do it together. And we're not spectators. This isn't a spectator sport, right? I mean, we're in the game, be in the game, but be in the game recognizing who you are in Christ, that you are God's children and have all the privileges of God's family. Wear it. Do all we do with that. When we, unity, whatever we do, recognize that. And God be praised. Let's pray. Father, as your sons and daughters, we are overwhelmed with the privilege to be children of God. May we never take that for granted. May we celebrate it. May we live it. May we embrace it. And may we go forth in this new year with that identity understood and exercised to your honor and glory. In Christ's name, amen.